Hello and welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, leaders and non-leaders alike. And for the sake of today's episode, any athletes that are tuning in, this is the Rooted Leadership Podcast and I'm your host, Chris Panetta. And we are downtown in Salem, Oregon in studio today. Salem is home to Groundwork, our leadership institute here. And we're just so happy to be blessed enough to have this podcast where we can interview and meet so many wonderful people and leaders and learn from them. And today we have a special guest near and dear to me. All of our guests are special, but this this individual is near and dear to me. Uh, he was my collegiate soccer coach, and his name is Mark Davis. Now, Mark, uh, before we before he, before we get him on here, I want to tell you a little bit about him. Mark has more passion and drive than many than anyone I've really ever met. Uh, the guy is intense, and it's it is so. Uh, what's the word? It's it's uh, addictive. You want you want it. It's it's contagious. That's the word. He's so he's so passionate. It's it's contagious. And so I loved being around him. I loved being uh, coached by him and being one of his players. And more importantly, I love being his friend. Now, Mark's had some incredible success over the years. Started started club and and U- a couple of clubs in Utah. Um, he's coached uh, at different levels uh, in in college soccer, both men's and women's. He's recently a national champion coach, which is incredible as of just a couple of weeks ago. So we're going to talk to him a lot about that. But Mark is uh, an amazing coach, an amazing friend. I know he's amazing, an amazing father, an amazing husband uh, to his wife, Natalie. So uh, just so ecstatic to have him joining us today. And with that, let me get him on the phone and we'll be right back. Thanks for tuning in to the Rooted Leadership Podcast. Before our guest joins, you can catch more episodes, leadership tips, and community stories by following us on Facebook at Groundwork Leadership, on Twitter at Groundwork Salem, or on our website at groundworkleadership.org. All right. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, Have our guest, Mark Davis, on the phone. I know him as Coach. I feel weird calling him Mark, actually, because he's always been Coach to me. But Coach, thanks for joining, man. I'm super excited to be with you here today, Chris. Good. Good. Well, I know we've chatted quite a bit uh, on the phone just talking about um, what we can discuss today, but I gave you, uh, I gave listeners a brief introduction to who you are. Uh, You've been a major influence uh, in my life. Um, Favorite coach I've had for sure. Uh, And uh, just, you know, I've, I've loved you over the years and, and the way I described you actually in the introduction was I don't know if I've met anybody that has that has more passion um, about uh, something than you do in it, and it's contagious. It's addicting, actually. So uh, I, I've always appreciated that about you. But um, more than being a coach, you've just been an amazing friend, and I know that you're a great, uh, great husband and father. So tell us, tell us about who you are, though. Things that things that listeners may not know, just kind of who you are and what you do. I know those are two different questions. Well, I honestly can say to you, Chris, is that you've been one of my favorite players as well. Um, and someone that, someone that, uh, you know, if your listeners don't know, was just an absolute beast, two-time conference goalkeeper of the year, you know, uh, man, one of the highest save percentages in all of NCAA division two, um, and just tremendous, insane, athletic ability to, I mean, the 40, your jumping ability. I, I mean, honestly, technically sometimes very raw, um, raw talent, but your athleticism and your leadership 
and just you as a person, your consistency as a human being every single day, you know, second to none. So it's really an honor to be on uh, the podcast today. Um, so I'm uh, Mark Davis. Um, I've never had a real job uh, in my entire life. I've always been a soccer coach. I've been really blessed. Um, I was named as a head coach um, at BYU Hawaii NCAA Division II program. As a 24-year-old, I was named head coach of uh, this NCAA program. And at one time, I was the youngest coach in all of the NCAA. Oh. Um, and so I, I, I ran the program at BYU Hawaii from 2000, uh, the end of 2012 to 2016. And they cut the athletic department in 2016. And uh, that's how I know coach. That's how I know Chris. And uh, and then after BYU Hawaii, um, I was asked to start a brand new soccer program in 2016 at Salt Lake Community College. Uh, prior to Salt Lake Community College uh, being in the NJCAA, it was just a club team, so no no official funding from the college or anything. So that's what I've been doing the last five years. And, uh, yeah, the, the, the men's team just won a national championship. And I also coached the women's team and they were national runners up. So they made the national championship as well. And we ended up falling short in, uh, in the final, but I don't think it's really falling short because the girls gave absolutely their best and they didn't leave one ounce of energy behind on the pitch. So I don't really feel like we fell short. We just didn't get the result that we wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's that's a little bit about me. And and uh, I have, I'm dad um, and a husband and been married for 12 years and have three beautiful children. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, and thanks for those kind words, man. You didn't need to, <laughs> need to, didn't need to say those things. Um, but- 100% true. 100% true, though. I mean... Uh, I got to tell this story. We're playing in San Diego. I think it's Halloween. And, uh, and, uh, we, for some reason, we never, we had the worst schedule always in our conference. Our, our conference always hosed us Mm -hmm. and, uh, we're playing, we're playing an old Chris Panetta. Uh, literally, I think he had about 22 shots and you had 18 saves and I've never seen a goalkeeper stand on his head more that day. And we ended up drawing, yeah, uh, getting more. a point on the road, point Loma Nazarene university. And that was one of the single best game performances I've seen from a goalkeeper in my entire career. Well, appreciate that. That was a, that was a memorable night. <laughs> yes, it was. That was a memorable night. Um, well, I appreciate that coach. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that we're still able to stay in touch I know we 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 don't get to connect as often as usual. Obviously, I live live far away, but uh, gosh, I just uh, I just appreciate you you being in my life and and thanks for for hopping on our show, especially fresh coming off of a a national championship. So I, I was telling you this before. That's a that's a big deal. I mean, one team gets to do that a year, so that's just that's a massive. Um, not very many people can say that they've done that. Small percentage of people are able to achieve something like that uh that's that's tangible uh, you know and it's it's down in the history books so it's not ever going to change so that's just amazing in and of itself so i just want to congratulate you for for doing that and then on the same on the same at the same time the women's team is the runner up so the fact that two teams 
uh, from the same program, same coach, are, are headed to the to the championship game. I mean, that's just that's pretty incredible. So um, I've uh, I, I was I, I was super happy when I saw all of that. By the way, just so pumped for you because I know how much you you put into the game and how passionate you are and how much you care about your players and and the programs that you immerse yourself in. So it's very deserving um, uh, for that. So congratulations. Um, Thanks, Chris. Yeah, but maybe let's start by pretty big question, but you can let's narrow it down a little bit. I just want to ask you what goes into being a champion. You know what goes into that, and then we can maybe focus in on some specifics there. But just go ahead and run with that question. I think insane, massive amounts of accountability and high, high expectations. So you can have incredibly high expectations. Like I know a lot of players have high expectations, but then their levels of accountability are incredibly poor. So I, 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 you know, if you could see my hands right now, I have both my hands and I know as you, you know, played under me for three years, I'm always using my hands Mm -hmm. and I I always say, okay, high levels of accountability Mm -hmm. or always start with the standard. Okay. This is the standard and this is the level of accountability. And if your, if your accountability doesn't match your uh, standard or your level of what you expect, you'll, you, you'll be a failure. Hmm. And so I think that's the number one thing as a team. And then, okay, we had, we had 26 guys on our men's roster, 26. And then we talk about, we talk about number one and we talk about number 26. What's the number one, what's number one, who's our all conference kid that has, you know, 15 NCAA division one full ride scholarships and number 26. That's just absolutely pumped to get to wear this shirt, to get to wear the the Jersey and what's his accountability like mm-hmm. and what's his standard like. So that's the way we kind of talked about it is like 26 players all buying into high levels of accountability and an incredibly high standard. Okay. Love that. Uh, a couple follow-up questions. Tell us how you define accountability. I mean, how would you define what accountability means? What do you tell your players? Well, well, we don't set rules. So like in our program, like we, I'm not a big rule person. I hate rules because I think rules can hurt you quite a bit. Like if you say, well, Hey, if you show up late to training, you're not going to play in the match tomorrow or, or, you know, you, so, so like accountability, I think a lot of it is mental. I think a lot of it's emotional. It's, it's putting your butt on the line all the time. Like, I think that's the accountability. Like, did you put it on the line? Did you put everything on the line to win today? And that's accountability to me. It's like, you know, Hey, if you're taking a math test and you have to run five minutes late to training, does that make, does that make you unaccountable? Does that make you not accountable for your actions? I don't believe so, but you know, being accountable is like, Hey coach, I have a math test. I'm going to over communicate. Like we're dealing with junior college athletes here. Uh And the majority of the male players that play on my roster, these are non NCAA qualifiers. So these are boys that were good enough to play NCAA division one soccer, 
but didn't have the academics. Yeah. So we're teaching them accountability. We're teaching them how to over communicate. And then the more important than like, Hey, be on time, wear the right gear, mm-hmm. you know, look, look right. It's just put everything on the line. So we talk a lot of, we, we talk a lot about effort Yeah, because effort is very hard to measure when, when, when I, and, and then just putting your butt on the line, mm-hmm. putting everything on the line. Like I know in a training session and I know in a game when a player puts everything on the line and when, when the bench puts everything on the line and the coaching staff puts everything on the line. Yeah. And that's one of the, that's one of the big things. So, so to answer your question, Chris, I find accountability very, very difficult to define mm-hmm. that, that that's my personal opinion because I gauge it a lot off the eye. Mm-hmm. I gauge it off the eye test. Yeah. Yeah. And I, there's a lot of ways that, that people, you know, define accountability, which is why I asked, but I love how, how you're talking about it because it's, it's taking complete ownership for, for yourself but then there's another another level to it as well, especially being in a team dynamic is I need to take ownership for myself because it impacts my teammates, right? Uh, and so it's not just, I think that's a key thing in accountability is that a lot of people maybe have a, a longer time understanding is that my my ability to change myself and take ownership for myself has a direct impact on others around me. And, and so I'm, I'm, I'm not just accountable to myself, I'm accountable to all of them. So, uh, I think that's, I think that's awesome. And, and you couple that with high expectations. I know that we were talking last week when we had that quick phone call, I was sharing with you what's called the demand and control theory, which essentially is what that, you know, that's when I asked you the question, what, what, what goes into becoming a champion? You, you, in essence, you know, summed up, uh, what, what's, that what what the demand and control theory is, which there's a lot of research on this, but it basically is a high. If there's high levels of demand, which you're saying is high expectations, you know, you give you give someone a high expectation. Uh, there's a high demand, and you couple that with high control, meaning that that they have control over it. That you're not micromanaging them, you're not telling them what to do all the time, but you give them the autonomy and the freedom to make their own decisions. When you couple high high demand with high control, it leads to higher performance. And satisfaction, so people are actually happier with what they're doing, um, versus high demand and low control, meaning that you have a lot of rules and people don't get to make their own decisions, and there's not a lot of opportunities for accountability. Then performance decreases. So, I, what you're doing, even though that's just your style and that's what you've seen over the years, um, what you're doing is actually rooted in, in a lot of science, and and so um, no wonder why you know why why it works for you. And I love what you said about um, uh, number one to twenty six because I, I get emotional when you say that because my you know that year when I, I just that year that you referenced um, uh, I think it was my junior year that was to me that was one of the best teams I have ever been on not because necessarily the talent but because the star player on the team and the last guy on the bench the redshirt freshman. Everyone understood their role, and everyone knew the importance of one another's role, and we were all together in it. And I, I'll be honest, I've never been on a team where everybody was that bought into what we were trying to do. And so that that whole idea of number one to twenty six, uh, I think, is is also a key ingredient. Um, even though I've never been a national champion, I can see why that is a a key ingredient to it. 
uh, does everybody understand their, you know, their role well, and, and, and how important it is on the team. So we got guys like Gabe Hatton that actually started uh, as a true freshman on a very old team in 2013, but would be willing to clean up trash and cones and bibs and uh, do the extra mile. And I give a lot of credit to that freshman group because it was very junior and senior heavy. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of age on that team with a lot of the boys serving, you know, two year uh, LDS church missions on that team being a church school. So we had a lot of 22, 23 year old men Mm -hmm. on that team. And we had a very humble freshman group and uh, they were willing to really understand you know, what that was. And it was contagious because it was just like, they would just work and work and work. Yeah. I got the chills and thinking about that, that how special that team was. And and it really, uh, I, I really pull from that 2013 team, very similar to this 2021 team dealing with COVID and dealing with man, so many different issues uh, that we dealt with throughout the year. Are we going to have a season? Are we not going to have a season? Oh, Hey, we have to put it on pause because uh player X, you know, uh, was around someone that had COVID and was in a car. So we have to shut things down for, you know, four days. And, you know, there was just so many issues with that and just the uh, you know, how resilient the group is. And I know it's cliche to talk about resilient, but like, you know, let's talk about, you know, we're playing with 10 men, you know, in the region championship game. And then, you know, another player gets sent off and we're playing with nine men and, you know, really learning how to suffer. And that's really a soccer term um, and, and almost an English term. Yeah. But I would say that's the next aspect of winning was, Hey, it's the 85th minute. We're absorbing pressure. We're up one nil or we're, we're it's zero zero and we're playing to get into overtime. How willing are you to suffer Mm. into those moments? Are you really willing to suffer? Are you really willing to grind? Are you willing to do whatever it takes to get your team in the right place at that exact moment? Yeah. I love that. And you'll, you'll, you'll like this, but, uh, um, in our institute, in part of our curriculum, we have this section in one of our most foundational sections where we talk about knowing your why, but also, you know, characteristics of, of leaders that, that are able to live life in a deeper, more meaningful way, which I think results in a lot of positive things. But the fourth component is using your suffering well. And so people that are able to use their suffering in a way that, in a, that we say use your suffering well, but use it um uh uh as not as something that makes you bitter or frustrated or upset but something that can be motivating and and uh connecting you know to to others around you so um i agree with with that idea of of are we willing to to suffer because most of us are not um but we're all going to suffer something we can't run away from so are we willing to use our suffering well um that's a just a, a component a, just a quick draw to our curriculum from something that you've said I know different contexts, but principle is the same. So, you know, we'll keep hopping back and forth to soccer, but we got a lot of different leaders and and people in the business world, nonprofit world, education, 
you know, every sector you can imagine that listen to, to these, uh, to this show. So what, how, how would you relate that to one of those environments? I know you've said you've never had a job before you've been in coaching your entire, you know, your entire adult life, but what would you say to, to a group of, of leaders of different organizations of what they, how they can take this idea of high expectations and high levels of accountability to help them achieve whatever sort of success looks like for them? Yeah, absolutely. I, I also run, you know, a big ID camp business where, uh, you know, we own our own LLC, own our own club. I have, you know, sit on two boards on a club. So I get the business side, but I just love what I do. So it never feels like, well, I did, you know, work ever. I did mention too in the intro, you, I know you've started at least two clubs in Utah. Maybe there's more now. Yes. Okay. Nope. Two. Okay. Two. And then I run a big ID camp business as well, where we bring in colleges from all over the United States okay. and then kids come in and get to train um, underneath those kids. And so um, the the website's top tier ID camps, okay. if anyone uh, wants to check it out. But well, that's cool. I, um, didn't, know, I didn't know that. How, how it applies to. OK, so one of the biggest things I've changed over the last couple of years is I've really learned to delegate to my staff. I used to do everything. I used to count the jerseys. I used to do the laundry. I used to want to do everything. I wanted to fill out the game sheet that, that, that did everything. I would check the PSI on the balls uh, before games because I knew a specific goalkeeper that didn't like the PSI over like 9.4. Um, so I was checking, that was you, by the way, Chris, yeah. um, I would check the PSI of the game balls and was like, you know, and so hey, that's no, a hey, big change. Hey, nobody wants a rock being hurled at them in the air. Okay. <laughs> well, well, it's funny. It's like the Tom Brady thing. Like, you know, like right after we had our season, like the deflate gate with Tom Brady came out and like, I was like, all this is based off of like someone taking out like two things of PSI yeah. in a football. I'm like, this is crazy. <laughs> like I used to check the PSI on the soccer balls like four times on game day. I, would, I, I mean, it was just like, yeah. I was just like, I remember I'd tell you before the game, I would tell you before your warm up, after the warm up, at halftime, hey, Chris, the PSI is good on these balls. Uh, I'm grateful for that. By so, the way. so, um, uh, for me, for me, that's delegate. Like mm -hmm. I've learned, we have staff meetings. We have staff meetings before. Um, we have staff meetings before almost every single day. And, um, uh, and, and that's where we really decide, okay, how are we going to delegate in this exact moment? How are we going to, how are we going to make it work? So the everyone in the staff is going to really learn how to do things correctly. And I think that's one thing I really clicked on me when I was doing my licensing with soccer. Like uh, we're going through the A senior license uh, through United Soccer uh, Federation. I was like, holy cow, I am bad at running a staff. And I'm like, I, I can never take my game to the next level unless I'm able to replicate myself. And now I have probably in junior college soccer, I probably have the biggest staff. Um, and, and, and some of them are volunteered. Some of them are part-time, you know, some of them, I mean, I'm paying 
some of them, you know, money, some of them don't get money, but like, and and I treat the staff the same. Like if you're, if you're a full-time employee or you're a volunteer, I treat you the same way. And, uh, I'm able to really maximize myself, uh, by doing that. And so, you know, that's probably number one. Uh, number two, Chris is probably, probably giving my players a little bit more freedom to show, to be leadership, like to show leadership. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like I have such a dominant personality. Sometimes mm-hmm. I don't, I didn't let my players lead the group as much. So uh, my pregame talk in the national championship game, I think the guy that didn't even play any minutes, his name is Rafa Calderon. He's from Chile. He gave, he basically gave the pregame talk before the national championship he got the boys motivated. I didn't have to say anything. I feel like there's so many people within our groups that have the tools to get you to point A to point Z. Mm-hmm. If point Z is the national championship, if point Z is X amount of campers in your camp, if point Z is, you know, your business to get it to, you know, that threshold, you know, allowing people within your organization and enabling them to show that true leadership as well and giving them the opportunities to do it. Yeah. No, I, uh, I love that you shared that story. Um, what I was reminded of was the Jake, Jake, the snake story. You remember that one? Um, but yes. you, you know, and I, and you, you, you know, you said this, I was, I was your player in your first couple of years of being a, a head coach and you were a young head coach. And so it's really cool to hear you verbalize all of these things that looking back, that I saw you wrestling with, you know, um, because, uh, I, I remember at, in pregame or, or halftime, it was, you, you said something and usually one of the other captains said something, but the one time, you know, and obviously now you're, you're different because of what you've learned over these last several years, you've just grown so much as a coach, but the one time where you opened it up to everyone, anybody to speak was the time that Jake, you know, who didn't play a minute of a game. We just lost horribly that we shouldn't have lost he decided to speak up and it was, it ended up being an amazing um, experience for me. And I know for many of our other teammates and actually projected us on an awesome path thereafter. So um, I love, I love that, that you do that. I think that a lot of uh, leaders and people can, can learn from that as well Um, to, to delegate, not just in tasks, but, but in moments like inspiration, you know, it's not, I, I don't have to do this right now. They, somebody in the room perhaps has the right thing to say and, and, and opening up the space for that, I think is, is, is pretty, pretty cool. So, uh, that's awesome. Um, we're generally alphas. I mean, leaders are generally alphas, right? They're, they they want to take control. And like, that's something I'm always now like, Hey, like, like I used to talk in front of my assistant coach and I'm like, well, dude, what if he, what if he or she could deliver that message better than I could? Mm-hmm. And then I don't have to say anything after. Yeah. You know, and it's just like, I, I don't know. It's, it's something that I've really worked on. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the individual that I uh, work for, something I love about, about him is he tries to find people that are better at things than he is. Right. <laughs> so, and so he surrounds himself with people that are, are better at, at, at things than, than, than he is. And, um, and he's assembled, um, you know, quite a team of, of people just around him because that humility that he, he has, uh, and and it takes humility certainly i think that's a key component to to leadership and probably one that 
a lot of leaders, if they're like me, struggles with the most um, because, you know, a, a lot of times we, we've, we've had experiences or we've seen what works and we've seen what doesn't work and, and we want to have the answer, but to, to hold off just even sometimes just for a second or two can make a huge difference. Um, so I appreciate that. And may, maybe I'll come back to that Jake story too, before we end today, because uh, uh, that's just one of my most memorable moments um, as an athlete. Um, and so I'll never forget that, that moment, but there's a moment that, uh, that you created as a, as a coach. So, uh, but first I, I want to get into that same question uh, along the lines of what goes into becoming a champion, but specifically for you as a leader, as the coach, uh, you know, what goes into it for you personally, you know, what, another way of asking that question is what motivates you? I mean, how do you see motivation? Well, that's a great question. I love winning. I love winning, Chris. I love the thrill of winning. I love the idea of winning. And I think a lot of coaches, they'll, they won't say that. They almost feel like it's unethical mm. or some business, business people will, will say it's, it's unethical to being like, ah, uh, yeah, you know, we're doing okay. No, I freaking love it. Man. Yeah. I enjoy winning. I enjoy the fact that my men won a national championship. I enjoy the fact that my women went to a national championship yeah. and they lost. But like, I love that we won conference and we won conference three years in a row. I love it. Like, it's something that drives me. I, I love the thrill. I love the way I feel after a win. And, and, and then, and then I follow that up with, is there any better feeling in the world? of getting on a podcast with someone like you that's getting their doctorate and has beautiful children and a beautiful wife and is absolutely killing it in life. And I was a small part of that. That's my why. I love being a part of young people's lives. I love making a difference in young people's lives. And I love winning. I, I mean, that that's it. Like that, you know, if I can help a young, if I can help a young person become better, um, I, I don't know if there's a better feeling in the world, like getting a text message or an email from someone and being like, Hey, you were a big part of my life and I love you coach. And I love everything, you know, the ups and the downs of being together made me a better person. <clears throat> uh, there's no better, there's no better feeling. So those are the two things. Um, that I think really drives me, you know, that drives me to go recruit that drives me to work long hours. That drives me. Mm -hmm. I love that. Um, I love both those, uh, both of those key things. I obviously I love, love winning as well, especially as an athlete. Um, we put in so much time and effort and, and so winning obviously is the biggest uh, cherry on top of it all. And then the other thing that you talked about, just being part of individuals' lives and being part of the process of of human development, you know. Uh, and and you said you're part of my life in a small way. You're part of my life in a big way, my friend. I mean, those were formative years uh, for me as as a young a young adult uh, trying to figure out life and and uh, you know newly married. Um, I mean, you you were a huge Im impact uh, on on us and. Uh, on us, I say us, Kenzie and myself. I remember, you know, for any listeners, my wife also played. 
she was a goalkeeper as well, like like I was. And her year that would have been her 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 standout year, uh, we decided to have a a baby. And so, uh, you know, she became pregnant and she was, she was so scared to tell coach, tell Mark to tell you coach that, uh, uh, you know, she was pregnant and she wasn't going to be able to play you. She was selected as a captain. And I still remember we got on the phone call and you were on, you were on speaker because I don't think you were in Hawaii quite yet. And we told you and, (laughs) and I don't know why, but we were kind of expecting, you know, that you would be a little bothered or upset, but complete opposite. Uh, and that spoke volumes to me, even though I knew you already well, I just had so much more respect for you after this moment. You said you were so happy, but then you said, Chris, there's good, there's better, and there's best things in life. And soccer is, soccer is a good thing and we love it, but gosh, having kids is the best. So, and you were just so happy about that. And I'm sure that, you know, uh, that there was some frustrations there because Kenzie was an amazing athlete and still is. And you, we, you know, the team missed out on on her contributing in that way. But um, I'll never forget that day. And and it's all, you know, those are those are big moments in my life. That's not just a small thing. So just want to say that to, you know, to to correct that you were not a small impact on on my life is a is a big impact that you had. Um, oh, you're you're too nice. You're too nice. I I Kenzie was awesome. I mean, Kenzie is awesome. But that was tough. I mean. That was a tough, that was like, I mean, man, our second goalkeeper just wasn't very good. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was killer, dude. But <laughs> you know what? You know what? It was awesome. I mean, I'm just thinking about that now and it's, it puts a massive smile on my face, but in 2014, I, you know, you know, I had moments. I, I remember specifically one in Northern California we lost a game in double overtime and yeah, I, I, I was just like, I, I, I always think I, I tried my very best to take the high road and, you know, I sometimes feel, you know, passion and fall short. I was so flustered at our goalkeeper <laughs> on the, on the women's side. I, I couldn't even mm-hmm. see straight, but anyways, uh, no, I, I remember it. And, and what's great about our relationship is, even then we could tease about it and you would tease me, you know, sometimes back and forth. <laughs> why'd you have, why, why'd you have to get your wife pregnant? You know, why'd you have to do this? And, and I know it was all in good, in good spirit. So, um, uh, and that's, that was so frustrating <laughs> to me that San Francisco, I think we lost back to back games in like the 105th minute. And Academy, I was just like, Academy of art, I think. How do you lose to Academy of Art? I'm sorry if there's any Academy of Art alumni on here. I'm sorry, but we should never lose to Academy of Art. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, that's just, and that's another thing, you know, I failed to mention in the introduction, but something I've always appreciated about you is your sense of humor and, and your ability to to connect, uh, you know, with people um, uh, through it. So, but. Yeah, I, I and and I felt bad too, you know, because I really wanted to see Kenzie, uh, you know, play and 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 succeed in that way. But obviously, nothing's better than having having kids. So, um, but what I wanted to say about those, just going back to your response to my question, you know, you talked about winning, and then you talked about just being a part of athletes' lives, right? And the way that I'm thinking about that is result and and process, because. You know, and a lot of uh, this is going into some coaching theory, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Results focused is great, but 
we don't have control over it all the time. I mean, we, especially as a coach, you can't have control over who wins the match. Um, you do your best to, to, you know, to get the outcome you want, but at the end of the day, we net, we don't get to control it, but we always get to control the process. Um, and so with that sort of perspective in, in mind, um, can you expound on that a little bit? Um, cause I know you love, I know you love winning, but the process to it is what you have control over the most. And, and and so just kind of build on that if you can. So especially in soccer, right? I mean, soccer is a type of game that if you have the ball for 85% of the match and uh, you create opportunities and, you know, say just luck's not on your side that day. I mean, you could you could be on the end of the losing end pretty quick. So, um, you know, soccer specifically, but how we define the process is about we define the process by trying to get better every single day mm. as human beings, as soccer players, technically, tactically, we're always trying to get better at the game. Uh, the way we recruit players, uh, the way we do our vetting process on what types of human beings we're bringing into the program, you know, sure you could be a good player, but maybe you're not a great human being. Mm -hmm. So it's always trying to get better yeah, all the time. And so that's, that's kind of how we define the process or, 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 you know, the, the winning process. And we feel like if we do that every single day and we're always trying to get better, hopefully the outcome will be our way. Mm -hmm. We'll go our way. But like, you know, we've been doing the same thing since 2012 and, you know, finally 2021 on a weird COVID year, we end up being national champions. Yeah. Is anything going to change in 2021 fall and 2022? Probably not. We're going to probably do everything the same. We're going to trust the process. Um, and we may not be national champions next year, but it's just trying to get better every single day and trying to, and trying to better ourselves on it on and off the pitch. Yeah. Tell us more about um your recruiting, you know, in the organizational world, hiring can be one of the most important things for a leader, right, to get the right people on the bus, if you will. Um and uh you know, the character of an individual is so crucial because that's going to that's going to make our process the best that it can be when we get athletes or individuals of great character. So you mentioned a little bit, you know, you look for good people, but what specifically, you know, are you, are you looking for, right? There's the, there's the character that's kind of inner character that motivates me to wake up early and go work on my craft. But then there's the character in me that is going to be able to get along with my teammates and contribute to a team environment. So what's the, where, what's the balance? How do you, you know, how do you scout for that and look for that balance? So the first thing we're looking for and I always talk to people about this. So like you go to like uh, big soccer clubs or ID camps, identification camps, they'll always do Q and a. And uh, if I'm being a hundred percent fair, Chris, I don't love the way the coaches answer the questions. Mm. We're looking for good people. We're looking for high character people. And I'm like, come on. Like there, there's great kids out there, but if the kid can't chew gum and run at the same time, you're not going to recruit the kid, even if yeah. they're freaking the best kid on earth. Like, yeah. like, I mean, come on. Like the number one thing is talent. Mm -hmm. 
So if, I, if I'm an entrepreneur and if I'm a principal and I can get a super, super talented uh, employee, dude, I'm, I'm looking at that super talented employee and I'm saying, how do I get that talented employee to then buy in yeah. to what we're trying to do? Mm-hmm. So that's my number one thing, especially being an elite junior college program that just moved on 11 players onto NCAA division one programs. That is our number one thing is, is elite. Mm -hmm. And then, and then having such a strong culture and such a strong tradition that even after players leave that two years, that that tradition holds strong and that culture's, hold strong and the vision of what we're trying to accomplish, which our word is demand excellence. That's on the back of every Mm t-shirt that's on the back of everything. That's on the back of almost every, you know, one of my posts on social media, Mm -hmm. uh, coach hit me up, coach Mark Davis, 11 holler at your boy. Um, (laughs) but, uh, um, that, that, that come on like that, that for me is the number one thing is you want talent. Yeah. You, you want eliteness and then you want those elite players to buy into you and buy into your culture. And if they can't buy into your culture, then you need to, you need to, you need to move on from them quickly. Mm -hmm. So I hope I answered your question. I know it's kind of a roundabout way, but we are looking for elite players, but then if the elite players say, I mean, I, 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 I'll use an example. We literally were recruiting a kid. And we invited this kid to this ID camp and I did an identification camp and we're watching this kid. We like this kid. And then we see that he's, but he's not like an all American type player. He's good. And then one of his friends is using just absolutely poor language. And he was using it in jest. Like he was not using it like, he wasn't using this poor language in frustration like, or anything. No, he was using it just in bros, just like two bros hanging out. And um, we decided not to recruit this kid because we didn't feel like he was all American type quality. And we felt like his culture and his character were a little bit suspect. Mm-hmm. So this was a type of player that we said, he's not right for our culture. Yeah. No, that's that. I think you put that. You put you worded that really well. Um, and it's kind of the filter that you you have, the goggles that you put on, and your in your staff when you're looking to recruit. You know the the excellence, but also are they going to fit into the culture? And they don't have to. You know, culture is interesting because people create the culture, which is why I've always thought that college sports are just. It's such a challenge because you get them for a couple of years and then you get a whole new group of people. So the uh, the amount of of work that goes into creating a culture and an environment that can be replicated with a brand new set of people is is not easy. So I I don't think that a lot of people understand that. I mean, it's basically like turnover that you're dealing with, you know. And to maintain a high level of excellence in culture is is not hard. I think that's probably you probably see that as one of your most important jobs, if not the most important job, is to maintain that um, environment um, where people can succeed. Uh, so I, I love How about entitlements too. Like these kids think they might deserve a national championship mm-hmm. now that they've done it once. I'm like, I mean, come August first, 
Yeah. You guys haven't done, you guys haven't done a darn thing. Mm -hmm. What have you guys done? You guys haven't even won a game. Yeah. It starts over. Yep. 100%. No, I, I love that. Um, and you definitely, you definitely answered the question. Um, because I think all leaders would agree, uh, you don't even have to be a leader. It's anybody that's part of a team of any sort or an organization, you want the very best. Uh, but there's also the idea of teamness and culture that comes into play. And you got to figure out a way to make both of them, both of them work. Because if you got a bunch, like you said, if you have a bunch of people that can't run and chew their gum at the same time, it doesn't matter if they're the greatest, you know, teammate in the world. Um, it's going to be hard to achieve uh, with them. So, um, well, yeah. Imagine, imagine if you're Apple and you're trying to you're trying to put out the next, you know, iPhone, and you got a bunch of tryhards in there like me trying to de- you know develop an app or the new phone. Like, I mean. The, your business is going to go downhill pretty quick. A bunch of tryhards. <laughs> oh, a bunch of tryhards. I've never heard that term. I like that. Oh, a bunch mm-hmm. of tryhards. So, yeah, we we talked about specifically motivation the other day. Um, I want to. I think it, it goes along with everything we're talking about already. But I want to just kind of put it out, you know, theory wise, and then let you dive into it because. We've developed a flow so far in this episode. I'm, I I lay it out, lay out a theory, and then you practical it. You make it very practical because you're the one doing it, right? I'm just sitting here talking about it. You're doing it, um, and so I think that's helpful, uh, obviously, for people to see. Oh, here's here's an idea, and then here's an execution of it. Um, so you know, motivation has three basic parts. Obviously, achievement is is part of it, but we're not going to count that. We all want that motivation is it starts because a desire to achieve something, but. There's three. There's three main parts to it. The first is direction, which means, am I? Am I? Do I have enough direction to what I'm trying to achieve to where I choose to do the right things, the very best things each day? Out of all the behaviors I can choose every day, do I choose the right ones? That's how you know direction is is defined in this context. And then intensity is second, which is our level of intensity to which we will uh, deliver those uh, those behaviors that we choose. Um, are we willing to actually be to work hard um, uh, in in those areas? And that sounds kind of base, com- like common sense, but it's in- it's incredible. And you probably see this firsthand, just seeing athletes all over the place in your camps and your clubs. It's amazing how many people aren't willing to work hard. So I- intensity is is a key part. So you got direction, intensity, and then the last thing is persistence. Are we willing to persevere? Uh, and you mentioned this earlier, suffer through even when it's not easier or fun or glamorized uh are we willing to persist um in in those events so motivated people have those qualities they have direction they have intensity they have persistence so talk to us about that now you probably don't define it that way but when you think of what mode like your you know motivation in general both yourself how you try to motivate your your athletes and even employees and in, in some of your your clubs and your other ventures um you know what how do you see it? Just dive into that. That's amazing. I mean, the way you just defined it, it's pretty, uh, pretty, I think spot on, but like, I, I, I look at really successful people generally have two things. They have a chip on their shoulder. Mm-hmm. They got something to freaking prove every single day. They always want to, they want to prove something, Chris. Yeah. They want to like, I mean, that Mamba, mentality right that kobe bryant mentality like hey 
like uh, that Michael Jordan mentality, like almost creating narratives in their head to being like, they don't believe in me. They don't think I'm good enough. And so they're always trying to prove someone wrong. Is that healthy? That's maybe for another uh, podcast. I don't know if that's the, the healthiest mentality, but like, Hey, so you won a national championship. Ooh, can you do it again? You know, it's just like, Hey, you know, it's like, you got something to prove. You got a chip on your shoulder. You, you got to have that mentality of let's, let's go again. And then the next thing is, is you're striving. You're striving to be better than someone or they're striving to go get something. So achievement a little bit, but I, I, I think just those two things that can motivate anybody, right? Like, Hey, my business made, my business made 400 K last year. Okay. How do I get to 800 K? You know, and, and I have a chip on my shoulder because I grew up in poverty Yeah. or, or my next door neighbor thinks I'm stupid and I'm going to show him, (laughs) you know, I, 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 I don't know, but like, I heard that once and that's always stuck. That's always stuck in my head. Because maybe maybe it resonates with me, Chris, as I've always been someone that has a little bit of a chip on my shoulder. I've always been someone that, you know, wants to prove people wrong. And then and then, you know, I've looked at something with looked something far in advance and said, I I I want to achieve that. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what is tackled motivation for me. And then I think intensity, I think, is tied into that. How bad do you want that achievement? Is that the first thing you think about when you wake up? And is that the last thing you think about before you close your eyes? Mm-hmm. You know, and then, and then if that is, that's going to help you put, that's going to put every, you're going to put everything on the line. And that's going to help you understand when you put your head on your pillow at night and you do a little bit of self-reflection and say, was I accountable today? Yeah. Yeah. I think self-reflection is huge. It's just, okay, you know, I self-reflect after that match. Did I, did I make the right substitutes? How was my tone with the team? Mm-hmm. You know, did I, did I project confidence in the team or did I project anxiety in the team? Yeah. You know, self-reflecting after losses it's always easier to self-reflect after a loss than is after a win. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love uh, those three things uh, that you said, chip on our shoulder, striving to be better, you know, than someone or something, you know, goes to the, the achievement and then self-reflection. All, all crucial, um, I think. And I think it's when we stop having a chip on our shoulder of some sort um, that we can become complacent. Um, you know, even, even, uh, you know, uh, and you know, I'm a religious person, but even the chip on my shoulder of, I'm not, I'm not being who I know I can be just as a human being. I want to be better. I see that as a chip on my shoulder, right? I know I can be a better father. I know I can be a better spouse. I know I can be a, you know, better this, better that. And, and to me, that's how I define a, a chip on, on my shoulder, um, is that I, I can't, I can't be. Satis- I can be happy with what I have, right, and grateful, but I can't be completely satisfied. I feel like I get complacent. Um, 
And there's always something to strive for uh, that we, I don't know if there's a time where I think I've made it, don't have to do it anymore. And then that self-reflection piece is so, so important. I think self-reflection is a skill that we need to develop. I don't think a lot of people have the ability to self-reflect. And the reason why I think is because we don't like what we have to see, (laughs) right? When we we have to self-reflect, we have to face ourselves to some degree. And people oftentimes don't like what they see in the mirror. And so they avoid the self-reflection, but there's so much learning that can take place in it. Now we have this tool in our curriculum here. I call it the change filter. And I started using this, I actually thought of this a few years ago when I was doing a pretty high stakes mediation with a couple of executives and, and I was trying to help them understand how they can change instead of just wanting the other person to change. And that's a hard thing to help people get to. But I called it the change filter. And it's really simple. I, I want to share it with you and get your thoughts on it. Uh, and then we have just a few, a few more minutes and we'll wrap up. But uh, So call it the change filter. And it consists of three questions. And the, the whole point is that you take something through this filter. So if I have, if I have an expectation, um, for example, give me one of your expectations, coach, that you have on your team. What is one expectation that you have? For your players. Wear wear the right gear. If it's to training, if it's on the bus, if it's like if you show up wearing Adidas socks when you should be wearing Nike socks, it makes me nuts. Okay. <laughs> that would make me nuts too. That one can work, but I'm gonna dig a little bit deeper. Do you have a kind of more of a character sort of expectation? Like like uh, being on time. Something like trust or something like that. Oh, uh, even better, right? Like, yeah, trust. Okay, so we'll we'll use trust. Those other ones will work for this filter, but I wanted to dig deeper and and, and grab something like trust, kind of a transcendent. I think trust and being on time is the exact same thing. If, if you value your time more than you value my time, he's like, if you don't show up on time, you truly don't value me. Yeah. As a head coach uh-huh. of two freaking programs. Yeah. You value your own time more, and that just pisses me yeah. off. So, anyways, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, no, and everybody else on the team as well. And yep, so, and, exactly. And just a side note, a nuance about trust that I've learned over the years is it's it's a it's something that's built, right? It's a it, it's hard to, and this is where this filter comes in handy, is because it's hard to just you can't just expect trust when it hasn't been built, and so it's that I often say, especially in conflict, that trust is a prereq. It's a it's not a prereq prerequisite. It's an outcome. Um, but so back to this, this filter. So let's use trust and we can use those other ones too, having the right gear, um, being on time, but there's three questions and the three questions are this, and you answer, you ask them and you answer them in this order. The first one is how can I be the first to change? Uh, the second is how can I be intentional? And then the third is how can I be accountable? So if I take something like, I'll go with the, with something simple, like having the right gear, I would have to ask myself as a player on your team using this filter, how do I need to change first? I did about, about wearing the right gear. Well, first, you know, am I, am I taking it seriously? You know, do I, do I take care of the gear that I do get? So I'm asking myself all these other follow-up questions about how I can be the first to change. If it's trust, then I'm asking things like, what about me isn't trusting in other people? What about me doesn't invite people to trust me? What do I do that isn't trustworthy? <laughs> right. And, and so I'm asking those questions. And after I've asked myself those questions, then I bring it to the next part of the filter, which is how can I be intentional? So it's, well, if I want to be intentional about having trust and building trust, then I need to show up on time, (laughs) right? Uh, I need to show up on time. I need to wear the right gear, right? 
uh, I need to do this. I need to do that. I need to have, maybe it's, I need to have a certain conversation with a teammate, you know, that where I feel trust is lacking. And so I, now I'm being intentional about it. And then the third is how can I be accountable? So it's not just a great idea that I had one day. It could be something as simple as, oh, I'm going to make a reminder on my phone. Or I'm going to put a sticky note on in my room, or I'm going to go talk to a teammate that I do trust and tell them, hey, I want to build trust with so-and-so. Just ask me in a week if I've done what I feel I should do, <laughs> right? Or you know, for me, it's I go to my wife and say, this is what I want to work on. Make sure that I don't forget this. So I need to set in, set up some sort of way of being accountable. So those three questions I found were working with people. How can I be the first to change? How can I be intentional and how can I be accountable? Lead people to, to making actionable these values or these expectations that are easy to see on a wall or on a piece of paper, but then how do I live up to them, especially when I don't quite know how, right? Or, or when I'm too busy blaming other people. Um, so we call that the change, the change filter. But I, with what you were saying, I wanted to get your thoughts on that. No, I think that's amazing. I mean, uh, I, I think I think what you do, there is a market in what you do in every. I mean, you think about if an NFL team, what's a close NFL team? The Seahawks is that the closest NFL team to you? Seahawks, yeah. Uh, I'm calling all Seahawk GMs uh, <laughs> right now. <laughs> Like what you do in that world though, I mean, accountability and like seeing people as people, not just as, you know, objects and not seeing them just as, um, a coach, seeing them just as a player to help yourself win games. Hmm. So Pete Carroll say, sees you know, I'll use a player that's retired, Marshawn Lynch. If Pete Carroll only sees Marshawn Lynch as a player and that, hey, Marshawn can help me win games, but I don't see Marshawn as a person. I see him as a chess piece to help me win the match. Then that, that you know, you're not helping build that relationship. Yeah, And it's very difficult and it's such a two-way piece though. And this is what I always say to my players. I say, okay, so go back. Does Marshawn see coach Pete Carroll as just a coach to say, if coach Carroll calls my name in this current situation, I'll help the team win the game. You know, like it, it's such a two-way street, like a relationship goes two ways. And so I think it's amazing because like I, I see that formula as coach to player, seeing them as human beings uh -huh. and then player to player, seeing them as human beings and seeing them as people opposed to seeing them as, oh, hey, I'm going to pass you the ball in this situation because you'll help me win a game. Yeah. So I think it's I mean, you want my opinion. I think it's free. I, I think there's a market for what you're teaching at high, high level sports. Um, and, and I think it's amazing. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. I like the way, you know, that you word it as well. And you bring, you bring in the idea of, of, uh, of seeing people and, and I'll be honest in, in, in all my years as an athlete and now, uh, you know, working professional, even in my personal lives, that is always the hardest thing, man. <laughs> right. 
I'll wake up early in the morning and I'll show up to a practice and I'll be the hardest working guy there. I'll run the fastest. I'll run the longest. I'll, I'll push myself harder than anybody else. But gosh, it's hard to always see teammates as people. It's hard to always see coaches as people. It's all, it's hard to see colleagues as people. It's hard to see my kids as people all the time. Right. It's just, and so that is, you know, if there's a secret, I think to successful relationships or successful teams, that's got to be somewhere close to the heart of it because that's a, that's not easy. Um, and, uh, it's, it's something I certainly have control over, but it's not easy. And for it to be full, come full circle, it does take two, right? Especially if we're in a relationship, if we're on a team, you can't, it can't just be me doing that. We got to do that together as a team. Um, so love that you brought that up. You know, I want to, I want to close, uh, I want to close actually on this sentiment, uh, that you brought up. Um, and I'll, I'll briefly share the Jake, the snake story. And I know that we've talked about this before. And I, I think I once came in and did a little, little, little session with uh, one of your teams a few years back, but, um, I'll, I'll end on this sentiment and get some of your thoughts. Uh, and this goes back to, I think this kind of brings everything that we've talked about today together, but, you know, I mentioned this story of Jake and this is for the listeners, obviously coach, you know, this story well, but. For listeners, I mentioned his teammate Jake. Uh, we played uh, University of Hawaii Hilo, uh, last preseason game of the of our season, and um, we actually had a pretty good preseason going. We hadn't lost yet. Um, we tied a nationally ranked team, um, and we were having a great preseason. Zero goals were scored. By the way, that was good for me as a goalkeeper. I mean, we were having a great preseason, and then we went and we played this last preseason game in Hilo against a team that was just you know they were mediocre at best, right? at this year they just you know we should have it should have been an easy win well it ended up being an awful game we lost and not only that but we were just after each other all game um everybody on the field and i was upset with teammates everybody on the the sideline was after each other and it just turned into this mess and we lose and it was just an ugly loss i think it was 2-0 and after the game you can feel that sort of tension you cut it with a knife that's how bad it was Nobody really said anything in the locker room. Uh, you were saying all the right things that a coach should say, right? Uh, but nobody really wanted to hear it. Nobody really wanted to care about it. And then we went to dinner. Nobody really said much at dinner. There was a couple of subtle laughs about random things, but nobody was, you know, the the the, the environment and the the tension in the air was still there. And then we start driving back to the airport, and we're in, you know, the vans. And I was in the van that you were in, and you just pulled over to the side of the road. And it was already dark and our flight was like 40 minutes, 40 minutes till, till, you know, launch time. So we were running, running short on time. So I'm thinking, what is he doing pulling over? We got to get to the airport. And it's dark outside and it's some park by the ocean. I mean, and we just wander out. You don't say what we're doing. We wander out into the middle of this park and you get us in this big circle. And there you go again, off on your spiel, right? Of saying all the right things got to stop blaming each other, got to take accountability, this, that, and the other, everything that any good coach would say. But for me, and I'm sure for many of my teammates, it was going in one ear and out the other. I mean, it was like, just let's just go home and forget about this night. Let's just leave this night behind us. And so I remember I'm sitting in the back of this circle, like rolling my eyes, like, oh my gosh, let's finish this. I just want to go home. This is, this is awful. And, uh, and you're there, there, there you were going and, and everybody's just kind of staring at the ground, kicking the dirt, you know, just waiting. And then finally, after you just were done, 
you just stopped talking, but you didn't dismiss us or say we we're going back. So there's this couple seconds of this awkward pause. And then you said something, I mentioned this earlier, that you normally didn't ask was, does anybody want to share anything? You know, usually you'd say, hey, so-and-so, you say, you know, you point to a captain or somebody and you, you have them make, make a few remarks, but you opened it up to anybody. And then there was this awkward pause, like, nobody say a word. If we all shut up, we can go home. But out of the back of the circle, on the other side from me, Jake walks through. And context for listeners, Jake didn't play a minute of that game, and he didn't play a minute of any game. And in fact, I'm pretty sure that he went on this trip just because it was he, we wanted to give him an experience of traveling, right? And Jake was a great, great teammate, but he didn't play a minute of that game, didn't play in any game the rest of the year. And so he stepped forward, and the first words out of his mouth was, I want to apologize to everybody. And I immediately, it caught my interest, like, what does he want to apologize for? You know, he didn't do anything today, but he said, I want to apologize for not being a good teammate today. I feel like I could have done more, um, and I'm sorry that I didn't do my best to help us win this game today. I could have been a better teammate. And I was like, whoa, he's apologizing, and he didn't even play. He sat on the bench. And he's sorry. And immediately I start thinking of, gosh, I, I had I had all sorts of blame in my heart. I was blaming so and so for a PK, and I was I was so upset. And so I I start to get this higher level of accountability because here's this kid that was being accountable to us. And then it didn't end there. He said, I also I just want to say something else. This week I had a little nick, and in soccer world we say nick. It's like a little, you know, you you get a small injury. It wasn't anything major, but. He had a small injury a couple of days before in practice and he had to leave early to go ice. But then he said, that night, every single one of you guys either came by my dorm, sent me a text or gave me a phone call to ask how I was doing. And then he said, he looked around at all of us. He said, I've never been on a team like that before. I love all of you guys and I'm just glad to be part of this team. And then he stepped back. And for me, and I'm sure many of our team, my teammates would, would, uh, would agree with this. It was like the whole environment changed. And, um, for me as a team, as a, as a teammate and a member of that team, it, it, it changed everything for me that year. Um, and I'm grateful for that moment. Uh, the space that was provided, um, the persistence that you had coach, you could have just kept driving that night and like gave given up, like whatever, let's just go home. You could have had that mentality as well, but you didn't, you, you, you pulled over cause you followed some sort of sense that you had and you kept pushing right for us to, to figure it out. And then you provided a space for the most unlikely individual on the team to change our season, which he did, in my opinion. Uh, so I think that that encapsulates a lot of what we've talked about um, and the type of coach and, and individual that you are and why I, I admire you and respect you so much. Um, and those experiences that I've had with you and teammates, I'll, I'll never forget. You know, that's, that's the hardest thing about finishing up uh, college sports was not being with my brothers anymore. Um, and so I, man, I just, I just appreciate you and, and please, you know, round us off with any of your final thoughts, but, uh, sure. Appreciate you and, and love you, man. Uh, I love you too. That story gave me the chills and just made me emotional. So I uh, thank you for sharing that. No, I, my, my final thoughts, I do think, um, I think passion for life and passion for wanting to do a really good job is so important. And just when you are always striving to be the solution 
to every single problem, you'll be successful. And so one of the best things I ever heard was you're either two things in life. You're either the solution or you're either the problem. And if you're not, there's no in between. If you have a problem in front of you and you're willing to be the solution, you'll be successful. You'll find a way, you'll find a way to be the solution to the problem. Or if you're adding to it, if you're asking someone to co-sign, I use a, a term co-sign on your bull crap or mm. co-sign on your BS. Yeah. You know, when you're complaining, you're that. complaining, you're complaining. And then uh, you call your mom, use your mom, you know, your mom's going to be like, that coach sucks. <laughs> I can't believe they don't play you, Mary. You're amazing. Yeah. And, and Mary truly isn't amazing. And, and, and so like, if you're like, Hey, you're, you're the, you're the problem right now, Mary. Yeah. You're not the solution. And that's, that's my final thoughts. I just I think, that. I think, uh, if you strive to be the solution in every aspect of life, you'll find yourself being a lot happier and you'll find yourself being a lot more accountable, you know, and if you're accountable, then, then you're happy. You're like, okay, I I'm, I'm doing what I want to do. I'm happy. I'm successful. And that's because I'm always striving to be the solution. Yeah. And, and I fall short in this every single day, but it's something that I'm always trying to remind myself when I self-reflect and be like, okay, were you the solution today or were you the problem today? In this situation, could you have been better? Could you have been more the solution or were you a part of the problem? And then I can really solve a lot of my problems that way and just love all my players. If any, I, uh, of any of former players, I mean, my love, I think I have uh, such a love for players that have played for me and uh, just want every single one of you guys to know how much I love you and appreciate you and appreciate you, Chris. I mean, this has been a lot of fun. Huh. Well, I think that last sentiment that you shared is, is part of uh if you, if there was a secret to, to your, your, your personality and, and what's helped lead you, I know there's a lot that goes into being a national champion, but it's that. And so I, I, I love, I love that you shared that. And I often ask to end, I ask listeners questions and, and you just, you gave me the, the best question, right? A couple questions is I ask any listeners, are you part of the problem right now? Or are you part of the solution? Um, and if you are part of the problem, I love your language. Are you co-signing people? <laughs> who, who are you getting to be your co-signers right now? Cause all you're doing is making the problem worse. Um, and and so those are the questions that I leave with you um, uh, today. And, and obviously, again, I'll say thanks one more time, Coach. Uh, just appreciate you. Thanks for the time. I hope that you have another successful year. And I look forward to staying in touch and remaining friends. Thanks, Chris. Love you, man. All right, everyone. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Until next time, be safe. And we'll, we'll catch up later. <laughs>